love seeing kids. We had a lot of fun with some kids in the Dominican Republic. A blast hanging out with preschool kids and, uh, and school-age kids. But one thing about the Dominican Republic is you don't want to be last on the bus. You have to ask someone from the DR why that is. Well, we are going to continue in our series in the book of 1 John. And we're going to be opening up to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And we're titling today's sermon, Walking in Discernment. You've heard us talk about walking in the light, walking in the light of love, and now walking in discernment. There's lots of walking that happens in the book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, the letters that he has written to the church. But before we open up the scriptures together, let us once again turn to prayer and invite the Holy Spirit. Father, again, we are so grateful for this day. I'm grateful for all that you have given me in my life, the undeserved gifts that you've given. We pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning. That as we open up your word, that it won't just be for education where we learn something new, but Holy Spirit, bring transformation to our lives. This is a word that is relevant for today, as all of your scripture is. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you say to us this morning. In your holy name, amen. I will say that as I wrote this sermon, I constantly said, ouch, and I might make people mad. But it's not me, it's the Bible, all right? So just remember that. Okay, as we open up the scriptures. But I want to share with you an illustration that I've often shared, but I couldn't think of a better one to open up where we're going for this this morning from the book of First John. You probably remembered me talk about the U.S. Treasury Department and the way in which they handle counterfeit money. Counterfeit money in America happens all the time. New bills and new trials are always being done to try and fake the dollar bill so that people can get whatever they want without actually having to pay for it. And these guys that develop these counterfeit dollars are geniuses. If they would just put their their efforts towards something good, it would be phenomenal for our country. But they don't. And the U.S. Treasury has a whole section of counterfeit finders. Their whole goal is to find the counterfeit dollars, to see where they're at, to discover them, to understand them. But in order to understand the counterfeit dollars, they don't spend time with the counterfeit dollars. They don't even really spend any moments touching it or feeling it because they spend time with the real thing. The U.S. prints the money, and they have a section that they set aside just for the U.S. Treasury Counterfeit Department. And these folks, they spend hours and hours and months and days with the real deal. They're feeling it. They're crinkling it. Sometimes I've heard that they bite it and they lick it so they can understand the fullness of this dollar bill that is being printed so that when they touch or smell or see, they can discover the counterfeit right away. And I share that because I think that's just right where we need to be when it comes to walking in discernment. Because for us to truly walk in discernment, we have to understand the real and set aside the fake. But 
In our worlds, we are full of distractions. We have all kinds of different things that pop up in our world that are fake doctrines, fake gospels, fake Jesuses, fake understandings of the Bible. We have false teachers all across the West and all around the world. And so it can be difficult for us to understand the truth because of all these falsities that are going on. But if we spend time with the real deal, we can easily spot that which is fake. Today, the enemy, just like in the past, tries to use new knowledge. We'll understand that John is pushing back against this idea of these teachers saying, oh, we know something new about Jesus that, that the disciples didn't know. And they use buzzwords that, that are, are just tricking and, and partial truths that draw people into thinking that they are on the right path to true knowledge. But we need to spend time with the real deal. We need to recognize what John is saying, what the Bible is full of saying. And we have to understand that when we spend time with God, we can discover what is false. Because spending time in the Word and listening to the Spirit are the greatest tools of discernment. Spending time in the Word and listening to the Spirit are the greatest tools for discernment. If you want to walk in discernment, read the Word and spend time with the Spirit. And that's where we're going to be going. We're going to be looking at four keys that John gives the church and us on how we can do just that. What does that look like in order to spend time with him that is real? How do we understand the world that we're in right now to walk in discernment? So the question that we're going to be answering this morning is how do we walk in discernment? And we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. You can open up your scriptures or read it on the back with me. 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 27. The word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The word abide shows up five times, and that will be our fourth key. Just giving you a little bit of a hint of where we're going. But as we look at this passage, we can see again that John is a concerned pastor for a church that is being manipulated and drawn away from the truth. 
He is passionate about setting them back on the right path. He already fought the false doctrines that were being put together. Now he's fighting the methodology and the ideology of these false teachers because they had some really good methods of drawing the church away. They were using specific buzzwords saying, hey, you know, you might know something about Jesus, but we know something more. We're better Christians. We're going to leave the church and we're going to go over here and we're going to have what we call Gnosticism. This idea of I know more. I have a higher plane of understanding. Those poor fools don't understand what we know. We know something new. These new revelations, you need to come. You don't even know Jesus. You're, you're actually going to die and go to hell because you don't understand what we understand. Kind of sounds familiar today, right? We see some of that transpiring in our world today. He was a concerned pastor. And Johnson, a commentator, says, John's aim is to reassure the remaining loyal Christians that they have the truth and to urge them to remain in it. So John in these passages, as I said, gives us four keys in order to walk in discernment. And the first key that we see is the key of times because we need to discern the turbulent times we are in right? Discern the turbulent times we are in. John opens up this section of his letter by saying we are in the last hour. We're in the last hour. Church, wake up. Look, it's coming. The last hour is here. And we can see that John's urgency was for them to recognize and stay alert. It wasn't for him to cause fear. Here, this is where I think that we have had a false ideology of eschatology. Because when we look at eschatology in our world today, now, Tim LaHaye, and they did a great job writing an amazing series of books, but in those books, we saw panic. We saw fear. We had this sense of the end times of, ah! That's not what eschatology is about. That's not why John taught eschatology. That's not why Jesus talked about the end times. That's not why Paul talked about the end times. That's not why Daniel talked about the end times. The reason why we need to recognize the turbulent times which we are in is for the sake of mission. If you were to read Revelation correctly, you would recognize that, yes, there are things that we need to understand that are coming. We need to understand the little hints that are put in the Bible about where we're to go. But if you were to read Revelation properly, it's always for the movement of mission. It's always to go out and say, hey, you know what, church, be alert. We've got to go and win more souls for Jesus. We've got to go tell them about Jesus, not say, oh, repent or die, the end is nigh but going and spending time with them, sharing them the gospel, going across the world. If you were to look at the alliance definition of eschatology, it always leads to missiology. The reason why we are a movement that is larger around the world than we are in the United States is because we as a denomination understood eschatology always leads to mission. Always. When Simpson read Jesus' words and he read Revelation, John's words, he wanted to go on mission. He's like, oh, we have a part to play. We want Jesus to come back. We have a part to play. We've got to go out and we've got to proclaim the truth of the gospel. But so much of what we talk about in end times today makes everybody agitated. Makes everybody say, oh, don't you see it? Don't you see it? It's coming. The sky is falling. That's not how we're to respond at all. 
Eschatology understood properly always leads to mission and nothing else. Jesus in, in Matthew 24 and 25 talked about the end times. He described the end times. He shared with us the purpose of the end times. And he said that we have a part to play because Jesus will not return until the world hears. That's everyone. Every people, every tribe, every tongue hears the gospel truth of Jesus. And then, he says, the end will come. Sometimes I think what we do is we look at these eschatological books, John in Revelation and 1 Thessalonians from Paul, and we forget that Paul's framework and John's framework was through the lens of Jesus' framework. Why? Because Jesus came first. Jesus spoke, and John and Paul had an understanding of the lens with which Jesus was talking about. And so they follow his framework, and then they add what the Holy Spirit told them to add. It's not separate, which is interesting because I, whenever I talk with anybody about eschatology, they never talk about Jesus' words. They always talk about Revelation immediately, or Daniel immediately. It's all in the framework of what Jesus said. If Jesus is the center... What Jesus said is the central part of our beliefs. Amen? Amen. Okay. I got to calm down. Too much coffee. Aiken said this, Due to the fact that Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, John can say with assurance that it is the last hour. It has been the last hour since the Son of God invaded the evil one's domain and dealt him a death blow in the cross and resurrection. We are living in the last days. We're living in the last hour. The church for the last 2,000 plus years has been living in the last hour. And the purpose for that is to be on mission. But so many times, the church has lacked mission. Why hasn't Jesus come again? Because we're not doing our job. Doesn't that hurt? We have a part to play. We are part of the mission of Jesus, to bring about the return of the King. Since the church age began, we've been in the last days. And this is why point number three is true. Every generation will see shadows of the end, and those shadows are to move us toward mission. If we look at Matthew 24, 6 through 8, and 13 through 14, we see Jesus' words saying, these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen. Here is what it's going to look like. But... He says very specifically, when these things happen, the end is not yet. The purpose of these things, these wars and these, these viruses and these sicknesses and these earthquakes and these volcanoes and these storms and these hurricanes is not to freak you out. Because then he follows up, the end is not yet. But if we go through all out the world, those, every tongue and every tribe, when they come to salvation, I'll come. And then the end will come. The purpose is not to freak us out. John talking about the, the last hour is not to make people panic in fear, but to cause them to move on mission. I think the Western church has just missed the point of eschatology. It's not bad to try and figure out what the bowls are in Revelation. It's not bad to try and figure out what these different things are because there's a literal understanding of the Scripture. But if that's all we do is we sit in the huddle in a corner and we talk together about all the cool things that, that are in the bowls and this and that, and oh, that person's the dragon, this person's that, but we don't go on mission, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. 
It's convicting to me. If the Holy Spirit is the one revealing these things, instead of manipulative men and women, the response would not be fear. We see these teachers that talk about the end times. And when we watch them on YouTube or on TV or listen to them, there, there's this sense of panic that comes up within us. That's not from God. In, if you were to open up the scriptures to 2 Timothy 1, 6-7 and Romans 8, 12-17, we will see that the Holy Spirit does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, a passion. <laughs> if we're looking at the end times and we're just freaking out, that's not the Holy Spirit. I have to tell you, if you're watching stuff that's freaking you out and making you panic, you're not watching or listening to the right stuff. Because we do not have a spirit of fear, we have a spirit of power. It's to encourage us to go out on mission. And I'm passionate about this because I've seen it happen in my whole lifetime. You know, when the, the, the Left Behind videos came out, some of you might remember those. People were like, I don't want my head cut off, I'm freaking out. I mean, it literally scared the hell out of me because I asked Jesus into my heart <laughs> because of those. All right? I did not want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And it's important for us to understand that it's supposed to be for mission, not fear. If the Holy Spirit is truly in it, pointing the shadows out to us, the response will always be mission. Jackman, a commentator, said, What is clear from the New Testament is that anti-Christian forces will manifest themselves in their implacable opposition to Christ and His church in every generation. We will receive in every generation, a battle against the enemy. It's a promise. Jesus gives us that promise. Paul gives us that promise. We will constantly be battling the enemy. Those shadows that we see, those images that Jesus said would come, are to lead us to go on mission. Now, there are things in our world that are, are against mission, right? There are things that don't want the gospel to go forward because the enemy is in charge of a lot of the world, and we see it, and it breaks our hearts, and we're to push forward. And the things around us seem to be closing in and closing in and closing in. We see all these different regulations in New York about getting into restaurants and you have to show a vaccination card and all this stuff. Let me share with you, if the government ever tells that the church has to have a vaccination card for you to come to church, we're ignoring that rule. Why? Because that affects mission. It affects what Christ has called us to do. So if that was a fear of yours, don't be afraid of that. Walk in the doors. doesn't matter because we are on mission for Jesus. If anything is going to come against the mission, then we need to battle against it. Amen? But if it doesn't go against mission, we need to just let it aside and not discuss it and not deal with it and worry about it because we need to be on mission. Too often what we see is we get so freaked out about this stuff that we talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, talk about it but we never go on mission. That's the enemy's distraction, taking us away from doing what we're supposed to be doing. So we need to be paying attention. Our eyes need to be open. The Antichrist John is describing left the church and they were seeking to draw others out of fellowship. These Antichrists were talking about all these things, this gnosis, this new knowledge, this new stuff. Oh man, if you don't understand this, you, I don't even know if you're saved. You need to get out of that place. John's not telling you the truth. He knows more than he's telling you. Well, that sounds like Satan, doesn't it? In the garden, God's not telling the truth. Man, John was trying to fight against these liars. John, in this passage, like I said, gives us four keys for discernment. And the second key is the key of living. 
Point four, live into the power and truth you possess through the Holy Spirit. John talks to the church about these evil guys that are taking the church away. And he says, but you, those of you who are here, those of you who are reading this letter, hearing this letter spoken, but you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. What he's saying is, church, you don't have to be duped by these false teachers. You don't have to go after these distractions. You don't have to spiral down into these silly conversations that lead nowhere. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the anointed one. He says, they don't know the truth, but you are anointed with the Holy One. He's reminding them of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. And he's saying, live into that. Don't live over here. Live into the Holy Spirit. Live into the power with which He has given to you. Walk in that truth. John assures them, you have the Holy Spirit. One of the most important things that you and I as believers can do is when we hear all these messages over here about new revelations, or this is when Jesus will come, or this is what we need to do, or blah, 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 about all that stuff. What we need to do is we need to ask the Holy Spirit and say, is this true? He'll tell you. If you spend time with the real deal, you'll be able to quickly spot the false. But too often, we don't have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. And so we're easily manipulated because we're not spending time resting in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. John is telling them you need to live into the power of the Holy Spirit. John in 1 John 4, 1 through 6 will tell the church this, turn to the Spirit and the Word to test what you hear. Because these false teachers, let me tell you, these folks that are trying to distract the church, the the Gnostics were not telling the church, test it, listen to it, ask the Holy Spirit. They weren't saying, go back to the teachings that you've heard. And today, They'll they'll use these buzzwords that seem like truth, but they never, 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 never open the Bible. Why? Because they know that if they open the Bible, you'll see they're lying to me. What? And they'll never tell you to test it. They'll just tell you it's truth. And too often we just, we fall prey to it, myself included. And there are people that make really, really good arguments for stuff. And I have to say, wow, I, I need to te- check that out. Because I might be completely wrong. And when I go back, I'm like, oh, no. No, no, no. That was false. Another commentator says, because the Spirit-anointed, faithful, Johenian Christians know the truth, the author was writing not to inform them as if they were ignorant, but simply to remind them that they do know the truth, and therefore they have nothing to fear. Do not be intimidated by them, he implies. So as believers, you and I must allow the Spirit's truth to dispel Satan's lies. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit. You as a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ, has repented and confessed, you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. Amen? So we don't need to be tricked. We don't even have to be tricked because we can just ask the Spirit, Spirit of the living God, is this true? And go to people that you trust that know the Holy Spirit. 
See, one of the things that these, that these, these Gnostic teachers were doing is they were sowing doubt in John himself. They were saying, John doesn't know what he's talking about. John's, John doesn't, he was, they were sowing doubt underneath the pastors of that church of that time, saying, you, you can't believe them. They don't know what we know. We know more. Don't listen to that pastor. He doesn't know. That's what they were doing to John over and over and over again. And that's why he stands upon his authority and says, no, listen, what we taught you, that is vital. What you know, don't forget it. Walk in the spirit, walk in the truth. Remember what we taught you. Remember what we taught you. <coughs> Excuse me. This leads me to the key, number three. And that's the key of returning. Return to your roots and remember what led you to salvation. The false teachers or antichrists were causing division in the church, making many believers doubt their faith and causing them to think that these new revelations about Jesus might be true and those who didn't believe like them must be falling away. But what John says is go back to what brought you to faith. Remember how you were changed and transformed. Was it these new revelations or was it the truth of Jesus? And so sometimes when we walk in this world confused and frustrated and not knowing what's true and what's false and what's right and what's wrong, go back to the day you were brought to salvation. What did Jesus say to you then? Who was Jesus to you then? Many of us, when we come to faith in Jesus, we have a passionate desire to go on mission. It's just what the Holy Spirit does within us. So he's saying, go back, return, remember the, what we taught you. Remember what you knew. Remember what you knew. If we believe the wrong stuff about Jesus, this is important. We are not in the family because we have a false doctrine. The Gnostics were attacking the deity of Christ at this time. Saying Jesus wasn't really God. He was just an enlightened being. And you and I, we can be enlightened like him. We can have new knowledge that the world will never know. See, the Greco-Roman world of philosophy was creeping into the church and they were believing these things about Jesus. And they were wondering, what well, is Jesus really God? Is he really true? And they were attacking Jesus over and over and over again. And Paul, or rather John was saying, remember who Jesus was. Denying or confessing Jesus is the key to a right relationship with God. And they have the Father. And to, and, and to fellowship with the true community of believers who acknowledge that the human Jesus is the Christ, God's Son. John Calvin puts it well. He said, the Father cannot be separated from the Son. If we know who Jesus is, we know who the Father is. And if we know who the Father is, we know who the Holy Spirit is. The Trinity reveals Himself as three in one especially when we grab on to the truth of who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus, amen? Constantly we see this over and over again because what we believe about Jesus determines how we live our lives. Do you believe that Jesus is a fear mongerer? Or do you believe that Jesus is a grace giver who sent the Spirit to empower us? Because if we're walking in fear and panic, we are not walking with Jesus. Jesus is not a fear monger. 
He's one who gives grace and power through the Holy Spirit. How can we tell if something is false or true? Does it create a desire for mission or does it create fear and panic? If it creates a desire for mission, that is the Holy Spirit 100%. If it creates fear and panic and it wants you to insulate yourself away from the world and not talk to anyone ever again, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to determine, but difficult for us to recognize. It's difficult for us to recognize. The fourth key is the key of abiding. <laughs> Remember, we saw that John has been talking about abiding a lot. If you want to understand what John wants us to grasp in the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is abiding, spending time with the Lord. The main message is abiding, and so we'll talk about it a lot because John talks about it a lot. A good preacher always says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. I mean, that's basically the letters of John. He constantly is coming back to this idea of abiding. It's the fourth key of walking in discernment. We need to abide in the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, that was point number one, if you go back up to that. I told you what I was going to tell you. And here we go. We need to abide in the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Greek word meno for abide is an action and continual word that means to remain, stay, wait, and persist in remaining. It's not just something that we do once. It's something that we continually do. We are abiding. We are spending time in the Word. We're spending time listening to the Holy Spirit. He's drawing us back to find the truth. When we abide in Him, the Word will abide in us. We'll naturally desire more of God when we spend time with Him. When we abide with Him, we will easily be able to taste, touch, hear, feel, see who He really is. The key is meno, abiding, abiding with Him, abiding with Him. And when we abide, we will not be deceived. This is why it's John's main message. Because the church, many were being deceived. Many were being pulled out of fellowship. Many were walking away from the truth of who Jesus is. And he said, listen, church, if you just abide, if you just spend time with God, listening to His Spirit, opening up your Bible, if anyone is going to teach you theology and they don't, use their Bible, red flag, automatically. So many people walk away not even thinking they didn't even open up their Bible. They just said stuff. 40 minutes, I've seen some pastors talk for 40 minutes and they don't even open their Bible. How is that possible? If we're not opening up the Bible and someone is trying to teach us theology, red flag, boom, this cannot be true, <laughs> right? Important for us to understand. When we abide, we will not be deceived. The goal then is to reside in the word more than you wade in the wasteland of the world. If you were to open up your, your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, many of us know 2 Timothy 3.16 which talks about the Bible's importance, the Word of God, 
But if you were to look at the entire context of what, what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying this, many false teachers are coming in the last days. Many of them are trying to tickle ears of other people. They're, they're coming alongside and they're not using the word of God. He tells them, what's, he tells Timothy what's happening. And he says, but the word of God. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3. The context is not just to point out the inerrancy of Scripture, which we do see. It is to push back against those who are trying to teach doctrines to the church without using the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, he says. It's what we teach from. And then in chapter 4, Paul admonishes Timothy, preach what? You guys know it? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. That's what he tells Timothy over and over and over again. Preach the Word. Don't wander into these spiraling conversations that everybody wants to spiral into because by learning and never able to arrive at the truth is what those people do. They're always trying to learn something new. Always trying to teach something new but never arriving at the truth. Paul says to the church in Ephesus through 2 Timothy, open your Bible. We need to be Christians who walk in the Spirit. Remember that we are anointed by the Holy One. And we need to walk in truth, the truth of God's Word. This week I want to challenge you with point number nine. Reside in the Word more than you wade in the wasteland of the world. One of the most beautiful things about being in the Dominican Republic is there was no American news. That felt so good. We were just able to go on mission and be with people. And when we talked with the local pastors about what's going on in the world, you know what their response was? We're not paying attention. We want to go on mission. When coronavirus hit, our goal was to go and help. We weren't going into their houses anymore, but we were standing on their porches and telling them the truth of the gospel. We were leaving food on their porches. We were walking alongside and praying over the places. That's, that's what we should do. But we get so bogged down by the wasteland of the world around us that we forget to go on mission. Reside in the word more than you wade in the wasteland of the world. Let's dedicate to do that. Not just this week, but for our lives. Because when we spend that much time with the real, we can spot the false instantaneously. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for this word that is hard to swallow. It's hard to see that we could possibly be deceived. But we all are. We all fall into that place one time or another. I ask, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear. I pray that we'll be changed and transformed, that our desires will change, that we won't desire to wade in the wasteland of the world, but we'll desire to reside and abide in the Word and listening to the Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Word is God-breathed. Thank you that we can open up the Word of God and find the truth as the Holy Spirit guides us. May we lean into you and make all of our life about mission with Jesus at the center. Amen.